0: Spirit, Spirit. Hey. Spirit Don't you know your brother's Spirit, hungry? Don't you know your sisters Spirit, lonely? Don't you know there's babies crying? Don't you know your brother's dying Greetings, I'm Dr. Anthony Smith of Allache Center for Enrichment, and welcome to Black Folks Do Therapy, where we endeavor to challenge you to think critically about your mental health overall wellness. Our goal is to inspire you to align your actions and values so that you might live your life fully 86,400 seconds every single day. We do this in part by asking questions and raising issues that you may not have previously considered. Ultimately, we encourage you to do those things that help you to live your best life consistently, always working towards balance. Now, here we are with Dr. Valerie Jackson, and we're ready to talk about what she's doing in psychology here in Houston, Texas. Uh, we're excited to be at Monarch Family Services, and we just found out that there are actually several other companies as well. So, we'll have you jump in and tell us a little about a little bit about what you do and um, how you do it. So,
1: okay. I, well... Even though it's three separate companies, I always tell explain it to people the same like this. I say that it's a family service um, umbrella mm-hmm. because all three organizations really focus with maintaining or or stabilizing the family unit. Um, the first company, which is the the one that I started in two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. uh, is a community based program called Initiatives for Healthy Communities, and uh, what we do is we actually work with families in uh, the housing projects, mm-hmm. uh, public housing, okay? Um, uh, and so we actually go into or uh, on the property in their community centers, and we've uh, been ever since 2009. We're running a year-round program mm-hmm. called Lead, and Lead is is our our behavioral health and education program for children okay. ages five to twelve. And uh, we, like I said, run year-round. At one point, we're on five properties. Uh, now we have, we're only um, on two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's, it's been going for a while. Okay. And it's been very successful. So we service about 50 kids on each property a year, okay. something like that. And we also uh, have programs where we work with the, fam- the, the parents of the children as well. Okay. Um, the, second, <laughs> the second organization um, is Monarch Family Services. Monarch works with families that are at, well, they're in crisis and because Children Protective Services have intervened. And so we work uh, with that, with, work on three different programs with, uh, with those families. One is preservation, so mm-hmm. the children are still in the home. CPS has intervened, and they're monitoring, but they, the parents have been ordered for services. So what we do is we cover most of the services that CPS are requesting, such as individual therapy, uh, family therapy, parenting classes, substance abuse classes. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we cover... All, all of it except for um, we don't have domestic violence here, okay. and so they'll have to with they have to go elsewhere for that. But everything else on the family service plan we we cover uh, for the preservation program. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also work with families that are in the reunification process. So the the state has taken conservatorship of the children, mm-hmm. and the parents are working kind of similar the similar steps and programs of the the uh, preservation parents except uh, again they're separated and so at times so sometimes we were having to monitor visits between the parent and the child while the parent is going through similar services as the preservation Mm -hmm. families. Um, And in some cases we have, well in the past we've had some of those kids in one of our foster homes. Mm -hmm. So we've had one of the kids, the kids in the foster home, the parents getting the uh, completing those their uh, either therapy sessions or substance abuse sessions or uh, parenting classes here, and then also we uh, they would meet up here to visit to have a supervised visit. Okay. So um, and then in some in some of those cases we were very successful getting those families reunified, meaning that the parent was able to complete services, the child did make the progress that they were supposed to make as well, and the kid was the child was a uh, the child or children were able to go back into the home environment with okay. the with the parent. Mm-hmm. Um, the third program that Monarch has is the adoption services. So, if reunification is not possible and um, and it's not, you know, it's not, and it becomes not one of the permanency plans for the children, then we do have adoption services. In which, um, initially, when I started that in 2014. Uh, I was targeting really unrelated families to, to adopt some of the kids that have been waiting for adoption because in, in Texas we have about 8,000 kids that mm. are awaiting adoption. Wow. And so uh, what I was doing, what I facil- was trying to facilitate was to get th- some of those kids adopted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, organically, what happened is that um, as I was working with unrelated, ki- unrelated families, um, Kinship families started to rise because of a few uh, passing of bills that were supporting kinship families. Mm-hmm. So more and more, uh, I was getting more kinship families coming to us trying to get their home verified and and also other supportive services mm-hmm. um, in order to be able to have access to state funding uh, and, and you know so they can continue continue to take care of their relative. Mm-hmm. And so uh, present day. Our program is like um, the largest in, in Houston right now wow. with, kinship, with kinship verification. Wow. Yeah, so we have we have the largest pool of kinship families than uh, the other thirty eight a- uh, agencies, mm-hmm. family service agencies in Houston. Mm-hmm. And then the third company is <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is uh, the Adolescent Center of Mental Health Services. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we provide mental health services. Just relative. It's it's open to the public for anybody because we take we're on like twenty three insurance panels. Mm-hmm. However, because of our large presence in the child welfare system, we uh, we tend to get a lot of clients from CPS. Okay. Even though we do service uh, private clients and and uh, bariatric assessments and. Um, also we have neuropsych here as well because i have a couple of uh, myself and a couple of others know how to run neuropsych batteries <laughs> and so um and right now i think i have 30 38 clinicians that wow. work here wow. yeah that's why so i don't work like like the reason <laughs> for the, all the offices is because of the, the yeah. amount of clinicians so so yeah we have like 38 clinicians that work in that program mm-hmm. and um and i have and I, when i was counting other day, i think i have a staff of like 82 Okay. total for okay. all this stuff. So it's yeah. like 82, yeah. eighty uh, two people to help facilitate this this work.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and then we have a few other projects on the on the burner, but uh, we could talk about it,
0: you know. So when do you sleep?
1: <laughs> um at night, like everybody else. <laughs> so no it's it's it is a lot, but I have um, you know, it's it's a team effort. Um I have some, some good folks that at work uh alongside Mm -hmm. and help uh delegate some of the some of the you know the heavy work and then we have the um the mid-level management and the Mm -hmm. the, uh the other direct care workers that make it all happen all
0: right so let's go back a little bit we need to figure out how you (laughs) got to this place like what what inspired you to it seems like you have a lot you have a huge focus on children Mm-hmm. Um, which, which
1: is funny because when I when I was an undergrad and realized that I was going to not really switch over from business administration to psychology, but I picked them up both up as a major. Mm-hmm. Uh when I um like most people went to Intro to Psych and said, Oh wow, okay, this is an awakening, something I might want to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I was a business major but then uh became a um I declared a second major of, of psychology. Okay and the very first thing i said is i would never work with children Hmm. i said that is not an interest of (laughs) mine i would never do it Hmm. and then why did you say that because i was like i don't understand them they're whiny (laughs) you Uh know just you know comes just just you know working with kids and thinking you know i guess thinking of younger siblings and relatives and i was like i would never work with children okay yeah so my first job in the psychology field was working in a residential treatment facility with kids, okay. <laughs> and so and mm-hmm. so and also that I was I was twenty I was twenty one and that was also my first exposure to children in care, mm. which I never understood. Uh, you know, growing up, you hear about C. Well, this is like, you know, I'm I'm in my going into mid 40s so this was you know when I was young younger, you you didn't hear about CPS the way you do today, right. so you really didn't know what it was. And then also, uh, I did have a aunt that provided care for for families uh, within our family that were in crisis and and and, and uh, kid I'm sorry kids a family of some people in our families that were in crisis so mm-hmm. I knew about informal kinship care because of her because right. she had like seven kids of her own but then I would go over to her house and she had like seven more kids like mm-hmm. 14 kids running around I didn't know who would belong to what, and <laughs> right. what you know I just, knew them, <laughs> I just knew they were all cousins and, right. you know but that you know looking back that was informal kinship care sure and um, and that's what we did when when your family had were in crisis, they had a need for the children to be cared for. Somebody stepped up and they took them in. Well, present that's day, historical too. That's, that's very that's historical. Very well,
0: much yeah. embedded in our DNA.
1: Very much. Yeah. And so, present day, um, you still have the same thing happen where family is stepping up, but because of uh, as of two thousand eighteen, uh, when they passed the family connections of. Uh, 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 Foster Family Connections uh, Act, it allowed for, uh, that's say 2018, 2008, okay. uh, foster, the, the Foster Connections Act mm-hmm. uh, allowed for kin- or relative caregivers to have access to the same benefits that a foster parent will. Okay. And so that's, that's this influx that we're starting to see where relative caregivers are being informed if cps is involved that they have access to benefits and um and so this this is why you know as it's building um um recognition that this is available we're getting more and more relative caregivers come um to the agency okay and so that's been uh in the past two years that's been the biggest uh jump in our in our uh in our business okay
0: all right so you go. You have your first practicum. You decide to. You make the switch. Mm-hmm. Business and psychology, mm-hmm. and then you decide to go to graduate school. Mm-hmm. And what happens from there? Uh,
1: so it was actually not practicum. Practicum. It was more of just a job I took. It was a job. Oh, okay, I took a okay. job in a residential treatment center at twenty one. Um, and because of the surprise that I was working in, like a gym, I was working at a gym and uh, selling memberships. But then, uh, when I declared that I was going to be a, um, a psychology major, I said, "Well, let me try something in the field." And so I applied to this in, inpatient facility, and um, and it they it was a a residential treatment setting. And so these were the most intense. Kids and child protective services. So these were cutters. These were not even cutters. Cutters was a, cutting was a mild thing. Mm. Like they were swallowing glass. Oh. They were uh, st- you know taking any objects to to self mutilate mm-hmm. and it you know just a lot. It was a lot. But these kids have been through years. These were teenagers, so they've been through years of abuse, neglect, and just and mostly the the biggest trauma was the system. Mm-hmm. They've been through so much of. Right. The abuse of the system, in and, and so yeah, and so they were, they were, they were in bad shape. Mm-hmm. So I, that's how I entered the CPS world with mm-hmm. like these very severe. Uh, these kids that had very severe mental health issues mm-hmm. and it was um it was it was really life changing you know it could it would have could have did one or two things either like i said never you know i'm going back to my business right. <laughs> crunching numbers <laughs> doing spreadsheets uh-huh. and that's uh-huh. our you know our what, what, what ended up happening was i you know i've not walked away in mm-hmm. 20 you know what 24 Three years. I right. haven't walked away from it. Right. And so, so something can touch your heart. Yeah, I completely have immersed mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the whole child welfare arena. Completely wow. immersed, wow. and more than just building a company. Um, I um, I do a lot of writings um, in in uh, uh, around the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to uh, to pull research from the. Um, the um from this aid from this agency agency so i can uh start publishing again because i've been published in a while so i'll start publishing again and, and um and um as well as i do a lot of talks mm-hmm. about um about what i observe as a as a professional and you know and now expert mm-hmm. in this sure. uh, in this field and some of the changes that need to happen mm-hmm. and so yeah. and eventually i would like to have uh influence on policy mm-hmm. i have i have testified on some bills well, a bill um, last uh, was it last? Year? I think it was like yeah, last year I testified on a bill mm-hmm. that I, I felt strongly about. It was a kinship bill. Okay. Um, you know, uh, and it did pass, and so that was one of my, I guess, first influence, uh, having influence on something that um, involved mm-hmm. uh, child welfare, specifically the kinship mm-hmm. uh, arena, and so that is something more and more I want to do. Okay. Um, as I as I move forward professionally.
0: Mm-hmm. With so I have two things that that popped. In coming to my mind that I wanna know what drives your passion and who or what inspires you to, to do this work.
1: Okay, what drives my passion is that I was reared in in family being a very important component of life or uh, the most important component of life. Mm-hmm. And so I innately have this um, this understanding that this is something that has to be a strong foundation okay. in order for us to to thrive and and for us to be our best selves we have to have a family foundation to pull from Mm -hmm. and and so because of the work that we do here we tend to work with families in crisis Mm -hmm. and so I am committed as you know as much as I can influence it to get them out of crisis and get them to a point where they can eventually Thrive in a stable place, sure. and so uh, and I've seen this this um, progression happen many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen them come in, uh, whether it's therapy or whether it's a kinship situation or whether it's a preservation case or mm-hmm. a reunification case. I see them coming in crisis; they come, they're struggling, uh, they they don't know uh, the pathway. And over time, and if they're committed to change, I see this change happens. And so mm-hmm. that that Uh, You talk about motivation or you talk about like what drives me that that success drives me just as much as sometimes we experience failure. Sometimes I have situations where parents cannot change. Mm -hmm. They don't make they don't make any difference. There's no differences made in their life to where reunification is not possible or. Our preservation didn't happen, and so CPS has to remove them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in some in some of these kinship cases, we work them all the way through home verification, and now we're at the point of permanency. And they said, "Well, I'm not going to adopt them," mm-hmm. so those kids have to go back into care. Wow. So I've actually, you know, so there's there's triumphs and failures in this in this sure. arena, uh, and both I learn from. Mm-hmm. And so even you know um, even though um, they're sad to me. Mm-hmm. I learn from the cases, and, and I say, ooh, let's, tr- you know, let me revamp the model or revamp um, the approach, and maybe we can look for this next time or do this or implement that, and so, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of helps me to to see um, how to be better mm-hmm. until we're best.
0: Okay, okay, very yeah. good, very good. Yeah. And is there a person that inspires you, or
1: people? um, people?
0: Or just the people and the work that you do. Um, the
1: strength the strength of struggle uh, motivates me. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. inspires me. I mean, I see, and and then you know the strength of because struggle is something that it's, it's it presses you down, and so I, I see you know the human fight. You know, human humans mm-hmm. fight to get rise up out of these situations, and and I see them. Um, uh, want more and want different for their lives, mm-hmm. and so that um, that inspires me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I mean, I have a few inspirational figures in my life, you know, mm-hmm. that have crossed my cross my path or whatnot. But uh, I can't say just one person okay. um, has inspired me. So I've had a few influencers, mm-hmm. you know, my grandparents were huge influencers on my life mm-hmm. and uh, my aunt, the one I talk about,
0: right.
1: huge influencer okay. on my life. Good. And so um, sometimes when I um, I feel weary and well-doing, mm-hmm. I, I always go back to um, if they were able to do more because, you know, because educational restraints or constraints with my grandparents and my aunt didn't uh she didn't live as long as she could mm-hmm. they would have probably done more and mm-hmm. and did you know and so i you know i picked up the baton and said i'm doing what they would right. probably have wanted to do mm-hmm. so because i know my grandfather uh always talked about getting educated so i knew i was going as far as i can go right, and right. i didn't care where because even i didn't even understand when i committed to psychology i had no idea what the route was right. and, and but every step of the way someone would say hey you gotta go get this I said, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So then I would get a master's, and then while I was in my master's program, they said, oh, you know, you're very disciplined, and you're you write well. Go get a PhD. I said, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. And so, go get a PhD. Oh, and then you know, you gotta go get licensed. Then you gotta be like, oh yeah, sure, okay, you yeah, know. Okay. And so, you know, it's not, So I I can't say that it, like most some people get into this arena and they this is what you know they're just mm-hmm. all I can't say that was mine. Mine right. was more like this is what it takes. This is what I have to do. I'm doing it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. I think. Until here recently, I finally I'm starting to connect the dots of why things were done the way I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't see the pathway. I just knew I had to do it. Mm -hmm. But just recently, within the last few months. Mm -hmm. I say oh that's why I did that and that connects that and that you know so the dots are starting to get connected Mm -hmm. you know for me personally because I do this work every day I deal with you know hundreds of lives really every day and so um, sometimes we're we're not able to Well, I'm not able to slow down and and take a, a a you know panoramic view of what's right. going on. I just keep right. moving. Mm-hmm. But then when I sit mm-hmm. down, finally, mm-hmm. which is very rare, <laughs> <I> sit <laughs> down and able to breathe and say, okay, mm-hmm. this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I said, okay. And then I start connecting dots. I said, that's why that happened. That's why I met this person. And that's why this person, you know, that, or that's why I made that decision. And so it, it starts to all
0: make sense. Okay. So, all right. Sounds good. Yeah. So let's delve in a little bit into how you actually work with the kids you you mentioned um, some of the kids that you dealt with before some of the cutters and mm-hmm. you know ingesting glass and things of that nature when you're seeing somebody like that what's your approach to helping them get better
1: well first we try well in those situations we try to make the the environment as you know getting the items out of their possession during sure, the time sure. it's like the yeah, first yeah, yeah. line of work and right. so we, it's, it's, it's more of a negotiation strategy of trying to remove the objects and the items from their hands and, and then trying to clear the, the space to make it safe. And so that, that's how a lot of that's done. And so mm-hmm. it's, 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 it takes a lot of time.
0: Yeah, but they're, they're engaging in that behavior because they're crying out for something. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's so just, yeah. They, what they explained to me, and it's been explained over the years uh, what, uh, to different individuals that struggle with self-mutilation it's uh, when they cut themselves because of the race of the endorphins from the brain, they, they get a high from it. And mm-hmm. it's almost like relieves some of the internal strain and stress that they're experiencing. And it, it puts a lot of attention more to the, uh, the injury. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but it's almost like a runner's high that they experience with, right. the, with the cutting. So it feels good, you know, where it, it has the opposite effect of what we think. It, to them, it feel it, it's a great feeling. It's a euphoric Feeling and mm-hmm. so they enjoy it, and so that's what that's what motivates them, you know. But the onlooker is looking at the blood and looking at it. It's like, oh, okay. We need to, and so I don't, and and I do good in those situations because I don't have like a uh, like a anxious reaction. right I'll just go in a calm and say, hey, don't you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. You may not. Let's let's not do that. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's let's do something else. I know. I said I know. You know, you have justification of why you want to do that, but let's let's let's. Let's see if we can, re- we, we can put this down and replace this with mm-hmm. uh, something else. Whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's more, of, like I said, it's more of a negotiation tactic I have to use. And staying calm and, um, and then, uh, but aiding in the, at the same time. we're removing objects and aiding at the same time with mm-hmm. the injury.
0: Okay. So what, is, what does it look like from there to getting them to a healthy state? What's involved in that? And how long do you think that takes?
1: Well, it's replacement behavior that has to to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they they have a poor coping strategy because when they feel a certain you know feel that uh, discomfort, they are uh, are like they're out of options and they start cutting. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have to do in those situations. We have to kind of that ch- kind of we have to choose replacement behavior uh, when they feel that way. This is what you do instead of this. And so okay. and so it's a lot of that. But that takes it. That can take you know a year or more sure. To, gotta... to, because this is just like anything else it's a habit and so mm. once they get into this habit it's it's very hard for them to to break mm. and um and so just you know accept the fact that it takes takes time it yeah. takes time for any habit to be broken sure
0: through. sure so, so families are going to have to be committed to the process oh, yeah. you know and, and engaged in constant therapy like it can't be a hit or miss like I'm only gonna come when there's a crisis. Right. There, there needs and, to be and then you
1: said something very, very poignant because it is a family to, it is mm-hmm. a family. It's not just let's go get her help. Right. We all have to be, we all have to be involved. Right. And I tell people I tell I even tell my therapist, I said, Oh I said, never meet with a child without pulling in the family into the therapeutic dynamic because mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the, child, you, you're not going to cure the child. Sure. Okay. And that, there's no, you know, that's the whole theory about therapy anyway. It's not a cure thing. It's a, it's a kind of more solution focused and over time mm-hmm. it, you, you change and there's some evolution and it, you learn steps. But when you talk about therapy or, or applying therapy with a the child, um, it's, it's more complex because you also have to. Consider that dynamic, the family dynamics mm-hmm. and what what how the family can contribute to the the change process. And so I always tell my therapist, you know, if you're doing a, 40, a 50 minute session, spend about 40, 35 minutes, 40 with the child, but then bring the family in, mm-hmm. whoever represented the family that day. Right. Bring them in. Let's talk about the strategy, you know, uh, not 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 divulging confidentiality, right, but right. let's talk about how we can work this plan uh, every day, other than the therapy day, like mm-hmm. what's what, what does it look like? Right. What's the what? What can we? You know, how in this dynamic can we make the the family environment or the fan, or, you know the home environment therapeutic? Sure. Uh, and so and so I always tell them because no, I, I you know I used to when I was working in other practices and and um, even when I was um, um, in institu- some institutional settings, I would you know observe where a child would go into session. Spend fifty minutes, and then the therapist walks out. And says, Okay, I have a great one, and no right. engagement right. with the with the with the, <laughs> with the parent. Nothing right. with the you know. So it's like you know, and that that to me that was like a uh, it was a setup. Yeah, it was a setup, yeah. and so setup for failure. So uh, so my therapists are trained to. It's, this is a family situation so mm-hmm. when you especially when you bring in a child I mean, even you bring in an adult if there's a fam- if they live with a somebody there's some there needs to be some type yeah. of involvement yeah. um, on, a, on, a, on a family scope
0: yeah. so. I think that's critically important oh, um, yeah. it's one of the hallmarks of the way I work with uh, children and families. Um, you know I get so many parents that bring their children and are like okay fix the child yeah. I'm like, no, we need to... All work together. This is inclusive. The child is a product of this environment that you've created. And often, I've seen in in the vast majority of the cases, when the parents understand what they're doing that is a lot of times producing the behavior, Mm -hmm. and they start to make their changes, then they notice the child changing. And they go, oh, well... I just needed to have the skills to do to mm-hmm. do this parenting thing better and to hold them accountable and the expectations and all these types of things. It always goes on
1: to parenting. At the, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm
0: going
1: to be honest, it just really does. I'm not saying it's a bad parenting sure. situation, but sometimes something different to right. happen. And sometimes the parents don't have that different action in their toolbox. Right. And it's learning, you know, some, right. I mean, I'm a psychologist. I went through 17 years of training and, and then two years of postdoc and I get stumped <laughs> with my two.
0: And mm-hmm. i just like,
1: oh, my God. And I have to go consult. Right. I've called colleagues and said, hey, look, I mean, I don't know if I'm crazy or she's crazy, but let's go ahead and <laughs> sort this out. <laughs> what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, so I consult, right. you know, and I have like all these experience and I help, you know, I guess, you know, thousands of families every year. But sometimes with my two, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs>
0: Well, you get to be human, too. Yes. Oh, right? uh, I'm
1: very human. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. I'm <laughs> very, right, very right, human. <laughs> right. So, well, yeah. Okay. So, another big area that you that you deal with is adoption. Um, yeah. And we know that that, you know, is a, is a huge thing with, uh, and I guess you can speak to the number of kids that, that are out there in the system that need to be adopted. Um, can you talk a little bit about adoption and, you know, kind of some of the things going on? Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: So, uh, in unrelated adoption settings in Texas, well, like I said, we have about 8,000 kids that are eligible for adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, nationally, there's about 100,000 mm-hmm. kids in the in the nation that are eligible for adoption. That means they're legally free, parental rights are terminated, and there's no relatives that have stepped up to take, to, to take um, custody of them. And so they're just in the system in foster homes, most of them. Some of them are in uh, residential treatment facilities or group homes. Texas doesn't have any group homes right now, but I know other states still have the group home right. concept. Here, yeah, right. we we don't do it here anymore. Uh, but uh, but anyway, they're 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 waiting mm-hmm. for families, mm-hmm. and so um, the adoption process it's it's it it's time consuming, but it's not. It, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It it's you know it does require paperwork, it requires training, it requires. Um, uh, you know your time devotion uh, mm-hmm. to it but state state adoptions they're free so there's no no fees mm. no fees that are are uh, you occur for the for the process um, except for the fees that maybe that you know maybe you have to get a, a, a fire extinguisher or uh, right. safety equipment or sure. something like that but there's no fees that you pay to the agency there's no fees you pay to the state And um, if you foster to adopt, you can um, get foster payments until the adoption process. Uh, Foster payments are, you know, can run anywhere from, you know, eight hundred dollars stipend a month, or sometimes a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also get Medicaid, and uh, for the child, Uh, if the child is a certain age and you work full time, you can get daycare covered as well. Okay. And so, um, so that's one. That's the foster to adopt. So when you get to the adoption part. Uh, portion of everything, uh, foster care payments stop, but uh, the state of Texas, and and, I, and then there's like 40 other states around the, or maybe more than that, but uh, but Texas gives an adoption stipend, so that means even after foster care is over, uh, and you go into adoption, you still get a stipend mm-hmm. uh, until the child is 18. Even mm-hmm. the, after the adoption is consummated. You mm-hmm. get a, a, a monthly stipend, and you get Medicaid um, for the child gets Medicaid maintains their Medicaid, okay. um, and uh, the uh, adoption fees are covered by the state, so you know, so the parent doesn't have to pay for the adoption fees, uh, and also post-adoption services. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you ever, we, we actually offer post-adoption services for our families, but uh, CPS also offers post-adoption okay. services. So if there's any struggles or anything, you know, any uh, resources or consultation, then you can call CPS, but I always encourage our families to call us.
0: And by post-adoption services, you're meaning?
1: After the adoption is over, years go by, your little five-year-old now is a defiant 15-year-old, and you don't know what to do. Okay. You can contact the agency, contact us, and then we, we can, you know, we'll most likely put you into therapy and our, um, our, we'll look for supportive programs that can probably still because we don't want an adoption disruption, so so it's everything to avoid adoption disruption. Okay. Uh, another benefit that State of Texas provides is that it gives you free college tuition. It gives a child free college mm-hmm. tuition, and that's not just bachelors. So it's bachelors, your masters, your PhD, wow. your medical school, all of us, all the tuition, the tuition wow. portion is covered mm-hmm. wow. for kids that have been through the care.
0: Do people know this? Yeah. Or, okay.
1: Yeah, well, I educate people, Good. so, and that, all that, and so when I was talking about the 2008 uh, Foster Connection right, Act, right, right. that was not available to kinship families, mm-hmm. but now it is. All mm-hmm. that, all that, so when my kinship caregivers uh, either adopt or get or get the, uh, we call it PMC here, which is primary and conservatorship, it's not adoption because the parental rights are still in place, but the mm-hmm. kids are not going to move,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they, they're eligible for the same thing, the same benefits. Okay. And so, as a a unrelated, great, yeah, because of the two thousand eight uh, ruling mm-hmm. that okay. uh, kinship caregivers should get the same thing as a foster parents.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so what should is there a push being made to get these kids adopted? And uh, mm, they say they are. <laughs> <laughs> the state says
1: they are. Oh right? I mean, uh, yeah, so the state. They, get, they did pretty good this year. They did higher than last year. So that's uh, sixty two hundred kids adopted out mm-hmm. of the state this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So. But I mean, like I said, but that eight thousand always kind of stays yeah. um, the same.
0: What's the biggest hindrance to, to kids getting adopted?
1: Um, the amount of time they've been in care, because these court cases are not pushing them to to a decision fast enough, and behavior, behavior problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The biggest. People well, I said the wanting. biggest thing is behavior problems. So, okay.
0: People so, not wanting to deal with the. Yeah. The
1: uh, the fallacy of a child that's been through trauma and. You know, and they have all these problems, and they don't, they're not they're not able to be fixed. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and yeah. they are because I have two. I care, and they're fine.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so,
1: okay. So they're fine. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the training certainly trains help,
1: help. Mm-hmm. the support of the agency helps because mm-hmm. we support about all our families through the process and even beyond mm-hmm. um, education. You know, really learning for yourself what trauma is what it looks like and how can you support the child that has been through a traumatic uh, period in their life and and you know also just i think you know because i think a lot of fallacy around adoption is that i'm gonna bring this traumatized kid in my home and they'll be so grateful that they're gonna be on their best behavior mm-hmm. never happens mm-hmm. they're not, it's not supposed to happen tra-
0: why not because
1: they're hurting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're hurting inside. Mm-hmm. They're hurting. They're trying to figure it out. And watch they trust you, too,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with, you know, all these adults. And then I also get uh, the thing with adoption, too, where if a couple come in, I want I want a baby under six months because, be, you know, I can I can mold, mold the it. child. Yeah. I'm like, that's scary because it's really an unwrapped package. You never know what you're going to get, right. at least when they're a little older. You're <laughs> like, okay, this is your behavior. Right. Okay, I got it. But right. the you know, but that's another fallacy. It's like I am gonna get this little bitty baby and it's just gonna be so perfect mm-hmm. because I'm a that's all and then then you know, then of course they don't tell them that they're adopted and think that's gonna work out well.
0: Right. No, that works out well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Is there a is there an age that you suggest parents let kids know that they're adopted? Oh yeah. What is that? Immediately. Immediately. Okay. Immediately. Say why
1: because it's way more traumatic for them to find out that they were adopted than, um, um, than you, know, you t- letting them know that this was a special thing, I chose you, you are, you are unique, you're wonderful. Um, every, you, know, you, you, you have to make adoption, which it is, you have to make it seem like this beautiful thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that should be celebrated. Not right. something that should be, because think about it—you cover it up and make it it's a secret. Yeah, it's yeah, got to yeah. be bad because right, it right. was—you kept it from me. Right. It's a secret, so mm-hmm. no. Because like my daughter was adopted at two and a half, so she doesn't remember anything but me. Mm-hmm. But I remember at twenty months when she came, I was like, I know you're not going to understand adoptions, but you know you're. This is this is a beautiful thing, and you know now she's nine and she is a proud adopted child, and mm-hmm. she you know even talks about it. Uh, to um, you know to everybody you know but it's something that she's proud of it's nothing that but you know but I started her young Mm -hmm. my son he was older Uh, he was actually one of my patients for four years Mm -hmm. and he kept getting rejected 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 by families Mm -hmm. and so uh, actually last April he was rejected by another family and they brought him back uh, his caseworker brought him here and uh, I was trying to get him reassessed because the school district gave him autism. And he was like, you've been working with him for like four or five years and, and you never found autism, right? Or as a diagnosis. I said, no. I said, That's, he's, I said he's traumatized. I said, mm-hmm. he's been through all these families and the rejection. I said, he's just traumatized. Mm-hmm. I, said, I said, he doesn't have autism. And so he was like, well, you know, will you assess him? I said, yeah, I'll reassess him and get that label, you know, removed or whatever. Uh, and this was April 2nd, and uh, as the caseworker was work, w- walking away and leaving, he said, um, he said, hey, didn't you, What didn't you say you were going to adopt again? I said, yeah, one day, you know, later, you know, in my in my life. And he was like, why not you adopt him? And mind you, him is right there. Right. So we was like, no, no, not you. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at him, I looked at the caseworker.
0: put on the spot. I looked
1: at him, I looked at the caseworker, I looked at him, I said, have no reason not to, of course. Wow!
0: <laughs> and
1: so I started the process uh, with another agency. Of course, I can't. I couldn't adopt them, my agency, so okay. I started another, the the licensing process, uh-huh. and um and then we started doing pre-placement visits, and then he was placed in my home in June, uh June thirteenth, uh, and then I adopted him officially November twenty second. Wow! Of so last this is year. recent. Wow! That, yeah. How old is he? He's seven now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he's seven now. And how's he doing? Amazing.
0: Hmm.
1: He, uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gave me, um, this is a, I can say hell, right? <laughs> he gave, yeah, he yeah. gave me hell <laughs> the first three months. Mm-hmm. But it was more hell because he was trying to measure me up mm-hmm. to other pe- the other right. caregivers. And so, uh, but I, when he finally breathed in September, mm-hmm. I started to see, like, like, you know, now it's just, I mean, he, he's a beautiful child. Oh, he's he's amazing.
0: Yeah. One of the things I think people really don't appreciate yeah. about kids is that they don't have a way to get their emotions out and explain it in a way yeah. that we as adults can understand. They don't have the emotional Capacity. intelligence. Yeah. They yeah. don't have the the words. Mm-hmm. They don't have the ability to put it out there. So but that energy has got to come out. Yeah. And so oh,
1: that emotion oh, has to come out. Right.
0: is. It's coming out somewhere. Yeah. Like you try to blow a balloon up, you can only go so far before it's going to burst. Yeah. And so when this behavior is showing up, that's what that is. And people don't appreciate that and don't have the compassion to really step back and say, where is this coming from? And then how can I now work with this? Well, in a the way- problem
1: is they make it about them. They, they, mm. they—it makes them uncomfortable. So then they put it on the child. They think in their mind, "I'm giving this child all of this, so they should be responding like that." It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. really doesn't work that way. It really has to be about the child. You have to hear, even if they're not even speaking, what the child is trying to tell you, mm-hmm. and what they because in in his worst months, he was trying to tell me, "I don't know if I can trust you. Are you going to give me away?" Uh, um, is this really my home? Are you um, are you going to abandon me? That's mm-hmm. what he was telling me. Right. But not with words. Right.
0: Because <laughs> this has happened before. Yeah, this happened so before. I'm trying to see. He
1: wasn't telling me with words. Right. He was telling me through all his actions and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would tell him, you're going to get a punishment. I love you. And go to your room. That was, it's going to be your room. <laughs> right, right, right. right. So, it's going to stay your room. It's right? going to stay your room, right? So go to your room. Uh-huh. But... You know, it's, it's all, so, you know, it took, and then even after he got adopted, he did question me, uh, night, like recently, I want to say like two weeks ago, he said, mom, am I really adopted? I said, I said, you were there like I was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I said, you were really adopted, mm-hmm. but cause he still doesn't understand it, mm-hmm. but you know, but he knows, you can tell he's very comfortable in his mm-hmm, life
0: right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I, what I, what I appreciate about you is that you are not only, doing the work you are also modeling which i think is important for us as healers as people in this yeah. profession to model what we talk about Absolutely. you know the worst thing you can do is go to a doctor who's telling you you should stop smoking and lose weight and they're 300 pounds and you see them taking a cigarette break right, <laughs> right? Yes. it's like yeah i'm not gonna listen yeah. to that um But the power of being able to see somebody Mm -hmm. apply what you're talking to people about and to do it and and to be able to share your own struggles and to be able to say, Look, I'm actually doing this thing that I'm talking to you about that's And the same thing same
1: thing with mental health. I mean My kids are in therapy. I've been in therapy. Mm -hmm. I've been in therapy most of my adulthood.
0: Mm -hmm. And so,
1: I mean, I believe in it. Um, And and so it's something that you have to, that's an investment in yourself that you have to make. If you're thriving to be your best self, mm-hmm. I mean, to say that there's no intervention that's needed throughout the course of your lifetime, right. that is, you're 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 hindering yourself. Right. You're 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 boxing yourself in into a place where uh, this is going to be as good as it gets because you're not challenging yourself out of out of uh, a possibly unhealthy place. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I believe I believe in in um, in everything that we do here at this practice i right, believe in it right. so and i've and i in some facet i've i've um i've i've experienced it
0: okay so so two final questions what given what you just said what are your thoughts about why black folks don't go to therapy as much as they should
1: historically it wasn't designed for black people mm-hmm. therapy was not mm-hmm. that's not that's not i mean we were told historically that uh you know and I'm going all the way back to slavery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. We, we sing hymns. Mm-hmm. We, we uh, worked harder. Mm-hmm. We even self-medicated back then. And right. so, and then as time worked on, I mean, I moved on. It, it was not, it still even when advertised. It wasn't advertised with us mm-hmm. in mind. Absolutely. Even, um, and even present day. I mean, there's very rare I see ads that, mm-hmm. you know, when, they're look, when you're looking at therapy, you see the patient being, you know, not us. Right. And mm-hmm. so, maybe, but, but what I'm starting to see more and more, the clinician is, like the clinician may be a black woman, mm-hmm. but the patient is still, you know, mm-hmm. not us. And so, it's not something that uh, commercially we see, it's not something that was a traditional use of intervention. And so, it's, it's really, if you really think about it, it's a nuance
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for
1: African American I mean, minorities, period, to sure. be encouraged
0: mm-hmm. to
1: uh, dwell into this intervention. Yes. So, okay. so that's why. Because it's not something that this is a nuance. This mm-hmm. is something now that we're pressing upon. Because we're seeing, you know, uh, drug rates stay the same. We're seeing more and more of our kids being pulled away. From bio parents and, and 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 whatnot, we're seeing more uh, uh, and everything bad. We're disproportionately represented, you know, and so where it's like this because we're not we don't have the coping skills. We're mm-hmm. not coping properly. We're not we don't we don't know how to ask for for, for healthy help,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so now again, I mean, it's reiterating. We're just this is a nuance for us.
0: So just recently in the news maybe you've heard about it, there was this six-year-old girl in Florida who was arrested um, at her school. Like the cop came, did you hear about that, the cop mm-hmm. came? cop came and put her in handcuffs and she was crying and please give me another chance and she had thrown a tantrum or something in school and he put her in the car and they took her down to the station and uh, processed her. Um, it's just one example of one, out of myriad examples of this assault on our children.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what are your thoughts about things like that that are happening and the impact that it's having on the psyche of our children
1: um,
0: in our community? I see community? it
1: in... My daughter goes to a predominantly um, white school, mm-hmm. right? And I see how she's signaled out more. Like, like, you can have 10... Of our peers behaving in a just, you know, very uh, disobedient manner or, or whatnot, disrespectful. But when Bria does something, it's magnified. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, and even if I'm the observer of it, I'll watch the adult reprimand her more harshly than they will the other 10. And so.
0: Even with them knowing that you're observing?
1: Even with them knowing I'm observing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter is well and sometimes I don't even know I'm the mother. My mm-hmm. daughter is is uh, darker darker complexion than I okay. am. And so I, sometimes I don't think they match us together. Mm-hmm. And so um so I'm watching and so I, I I know that this is happening. You know this, this subtle subtle racism mm-hmm. is happening, mm-hmm. um, and and it is uh, impacting our young people because they are more informed than they were back even in my when I was a sure. child. They're more informed, sure. and they and so they know and they know what it is. Because my daughter will will say, mm-hmm. you know they're being racist or this is, you know, she's, and she's only nine, Wow, you know, she says, they're being racist, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, sometimes I <laughs> will oh, like, where did you get that word from? And what is, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And she will define it in perfect in, in in its, in its proper definition. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so she knows, uh, she knows when she's impacted or being marginalized, mm-hmm. and she she's a very outspoken nine year old, so she will let know. Right. You know, I'm not the only one doing this. What about them? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so um, so uh, yeah, it's it's it and, it and it is going to be. Um, I mean, see what these this this generation how they respond to overt as well as subtle racism. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and, and we'll kind of, I mean, but they're more, but I'm they're more, they're more outspoken.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know what it's going to do because they're, this generation is very, um, they're different,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but different in a good way.
0: Right. Absolutely. Because they
1: are, they are very outspoken.
0: They're going to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a whole conversation about microaggressions. And, and, and this is why people need to be in therapy because mm-hmm. you're carrying the stress of having these things happen to you and you got to do something with that stress. Yeah. you got to have a way to offload it and release and say, you know, they said this to me on the job and it was inappropriate, but I can't prove it because it's the intonation. The words don't, words are it's just a statement. I just said such and such, but it's the way you said it. And you know and I know, but I can't prove it. Mm-hmm. It's those subtle little things yeah. that, you know, we can't deal with. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are so grateful to you for taking your time this Friday evening and talking to us about your practice and the work that you do. Um, do you want to let folks know how to get in touch with you?
1: Um, I can be reached at Services at gmail.com. Uh, that's the general email for mm-hmm. the company. Uh, and the number here is 281-236-3989. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, well thank you so much this has been great we'll have to do a part two because i got a lot more questions to ask and there's a lot more we can delve into to give people more information in closing i want to remind you to always be a critical thinker as it relates to your mental health and well-being we always want to inspire you to consciously question your choices to ensure that you are doing those things that bring you happiness and fulfillment Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and share the information with others who might benefit. Connect with us on Twitter at HeartMindHealer and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages at Alase Center, A-L-A-S-E Center. Our website is Alashe.net, A-L-A-S-E dot And feel free to contact us for any consultations or questions you might have.
1: Things that I might be missing. Running too fast to stop to listen. It's time to step out on faith. I gotta show my